Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Hey, good morning, guys. Welcome. Welcome, Grovetown, South Campus, Dream Center. You guys laying at the beach on vacation, watching online, and everybody in this room, and we are so glad you guys are here. I love I love this time of year at Stevens Creek Church. There's so much happening. School's getting ready to start back. Who's ready for that? It was like, I can't tell what's going on there. I think there's a few really tired, excited parents. I don't know. But we pray for you guys, teachers, administrators, students, all you guys. This Wednesday night, if you're a youth, be here for United Night at all of our campuses. Uh, Be here Wednesday night. It's going to be an amazing way to kick off the school year. There's just uh, so many great things happening. And then, of course, uh, next week starts 21 Days of Prayer. God always does uh, special things during that time. So yeah, don't miss any of it. I mean, we're glad you're here today as we're wrapping up the Footsteps of Jesus series. It's been, it's been fun for me getting to kind of relive the Israel trip that, that Ashley and I took last month and then bringing that via video here so we can open up scripture together and see where these places happen, see where our Savior walked and to be able to learn more about the world that he walked in. Um, and it's been encouraging to me. Hopefully it has to you as well. But setting up this final day where we're going to talk about the last week of Jesus' life, the story came to my mind I hadn't thought of in a while. And a couple years ago, we had this mouse that found its way into our house and just really liked it for some reason. Like he loved our house and we did not want him to be there, but we couldn't figure out how to catch him. He was like a really wily, smart little mouse. So we tried different things. They didn't work until finally we found his weakness. So apparently he loved the smell of peanut butter and we got one of these peanut butter scented sticky traps in our laundry room. And sure enough, he just must've dove headfirst into it because he landed like his whole body, nose to tail, was stuck on this sticky trap. Now, I wasn't home when this happened. We had a babysitter there with our kids. She walks into the laundry room, looks down, and there's this live mouse stuck looking up at her, just like, please help me. And she shrieks, screams, and she doesn't know what to do because she doesn't want to kill the mouse, right? She, she doesn't want to kill it, but she can't just leave him there. So she calls Connor, our, uh, our second son, who's really good with animals and really patient and easygoing, and she's like, listen, I need you to free this mouse from this sticky trap and set him free. And he's like, why don't we just kill it? She goes, no, we're not gonna kill it. We're gonna free him, set him free, send him back to the woods. And he's like, all right. So he, he checks out the situation. He realizes this is gonna be complicated because it's delicate. And he, the mouse is totally stuck. So he gets some rubber gloves. He goes to our pantry and gets a bunch of like vegetable oil. And he douses this poor mouse in vegetable oil Can you imagine what's going through the mouse's head at this time, right? You're stuck in peanut butter. This giant is putting oil on you. You're like, I'm going to get cooked right now. This is how it ends. And the mouse is freaking out. Connor's freaking out. You know, he's trying to delicately get his little mouse paws and tail off and and the babysitter's screaming the whole time. I wish I could have been there, really. Just hearing the story was great. So Connor finally gets this oil slathered mouse off the peanut butter and carries him out to the woods and lets him go. And he just kind of scurries off. And I can only imagine the story that mouse told his friends. Like, hey, Mickey, why are you covered in oil? And he's like, well, it's been a crazy day, let me tell you. So why do I tell that random story? Well, I tell it because of this. That mouse was stuck in a place where there's no way it could have gotten out on its own. It was completely powerless, incapacitated, stuck. The only way it had any hope 
was for a power much greater than itself to intervene and to rescue it. And essentially, that is the story of the gospel, that every single one of us is stuck in our sin, in a trap of our own making. From the first time we ever sin, the first time we ever blow it, we are ensnared in this fatal disease of sin that brings with it an eternal death penalty separated from God. We're trapped in it. We're limited by it. We're immobilized by it. And the only hope we have of getting out is a power much greater than ourselves, God himself coming to intervene to rescue us. We can't save ourselves by our own effort. We can't save ourselves through help, self-help or doing good deeds. We've got to have a savior. Jesus is the only savior who could do it. And he came to earth on a rescue mission for you and me. And he gave his life on a cross, paying the penalty for your sins and my sins. And then he conquered death, hell and the grave, by rising from the dead, showing us that we too could have new life in him from the moment we put our faith in him and that we could have eternal life with him forever, free from our sin, made new, made into God's family. And that is his plan and his hope for every one of us. And none of us can get there on our own. None of us deserve heaven on our own. None of us can rescue ourselves from sin on our own. Jesus came to do all of it and he did it on a rescue mission out of love for you and for me. And so in this final sermon, we're going to look at that, the final week of Jesus' life leading up to the crucifixion on the cross and then the resurrection, and what was going through his mind, what prayers was he praying in those moments, and, uh, and hopefully this will be a, a great finale to this series as we see really the purpose why Jesus came in the first place. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. He came to rescue you and me from our sticky trap of sin and to give us new life. So the, the one principle that's kind of tied all four of these sermons together is this one, if you're following along in the notes. So the more we understand the world where Jesus walked, the more we'll be able to understand his plans for our world today. So that's why we're doing these videos from Israel. It's not just for a history lesson, but it's to give us the context, the cultural context of understanding a little bit more about the real world, the real places, the real situations that Jesus was walking in, so that when we open up the truth of scripture, the living word of God, we'd be able to see it more clearly because we could understand our Savior's world a little bit more clearly. And this series has created more interest in going to Israel. Uh, the, the church is actually planning another trip next fall. And if you're interested in maybe hopping in on that, you can send an email to israel at stevenscreekchurch.com and someone will follow up with you quickly. All right, so we're gonna go to three stops today. The first one is we're gonna overlook the city of Jerusalem because the, the week leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus and his disciples went to Jerusalem uh, and this is where it, it was all gonna happen. In fact, a big chunk of the gospels are dedicated to this final week of Jesus's life in Jerusalem, what he taught, what he did, uh, and he did a lot this final week. There was so much intentionality. His whole life was leading up to this moment, this week. But when he got there, looking over the city, he looked over the city with a broken heart because he knew that the, those people that he loved, the people he was going to die for, the people that he had come for, they were about to reject him. They were about to push him away. And, and all of us at different times in our life have done the same. We've rejected him. We've pushed it away. We've tried to do things on our own. With love, Jesus still went into that city that he knew ultimately was going to reject him. But the, just the heartbreak that he felt was so real in these verses as he overlooked the city. In Matthew chapter 23, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. 
See, Jesus is calling out with this, this great parental instinct of saying, like, I want to protect my kids. Like, don't you see, I want to protect you. All, everything I've done has been for your protection. I'm the good shepherd that protects you. I'm like a mother hen that protects her chicks under her wings and, and takes all of the, the, the pain and danger on itself to protect the little ones. I'm doing that for you. That's, that's what I've always been about. And yet, you're rejecting me. And so just put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a minute as he's overlooking this city and he's getting ready to go and give his life a torturous death he's gonna die in that city for people he loves, but for people who at that time were rejecting him and all that he must have been thinking and feeling in that moment. So we're gonna pause here and make our first stop going to overlook the city from, from near the same area where Jesus would have overlooked it, coming down the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem. Now, this spot right now, it looks different now than it did 2,000 years ago, I'm sure, but you can still get an, a picture, an idea of what, what it may have been like. And I'll also say that in this spot, it's also kind of a loud, touristy spot because busloads of people are trying to get this same view. So I was trying to do this video kind of kind of quickly and, and you know, dodging a lot of other stuff going on. But just go there for a minute and imagine, imagine this moment of our Savior overlooking the city for the last time before he goes into it to spend his final week. Let's watch this together. Hey friends, wow, here I am overlooking the city of Jerusalem. This is, this is where Jesus up the Mount of Olives looked over the city, wept for the city. His heart broke for the city as he entered in for the week of Passover, his final week leading up to the crucifixion, the, the Passion Week we call it, where he would ultimately give his life on the cross for our sins and he entered in to this city, entered in through those gates right over there, walked those streets, taught, did miracles, did a Passover meal with his disciples, broke bread, did the bread, the wine, my body, my blood. Uh, and just being here, it's, it's, it's surreal. Thinking about all that's happened, all our Savior did, when his feet walked up this mountain, overlooked that city, and then from here walked down into the city, it's, uh, it's, really, it's really something amazing. I'm just, I'm kind of overcome, honestly. But if you ever get the chance to come here, I encourage you to come. It's really something to experience. You can maybe tell in that video, I was a little more flustered than usual. I was, I was kind of just overtaken by the moment, you know, picturing Jesus overlooking that city, getting ready to go give his life for us, and, and just the reality of all of that hit me in a really unique way as I was standing there and I could barely, barely find the words. But what we can take away from Jesus entering in that final week and the mission that led him there is this principle, that Jesus is, was, and always will be our protector and our savior. He's, he's both, he's our protector and our savior. We, we think of him as our savior because Jesus, our savior and Lord, we just say those words maybe too loosely without carrying the weight of what they mean, that he came literally to save and rescue us. But we don't often also think of him as our protector, as, as that, that heavenly father protecting us under his wings, wanting to, to walk with us through life. And he wants to be both your protector, your savior, your Lord and your king, your friend and your father. He wants to be all those things for you. But just like the people of Jerusalem in the time, we're all tempted, I think, to reject Jesus when we don't really see fully what he's doing. When you're in a place in life when things aren't going the way you want him to go, and the next thing you know, it's easier to just say, you know what, 
Jesus, I don't feel like you're taking care of this situation the way that you should. I'm just gonna deal with it on my own. Like, Lord, I've, I've prayed so long for a good spouse. You haven't sent one. You know, I'm just gonna take shortcuts. I'm gonna do things my own way. Lord, I've prayed for you to get me out of this job and you haven't. I'm just gonna start doing things my own way. I've prayed for my kid. They're still messed up in that same struggle. You're not intervening fast enough, Lord. I'm just not gonna trust you anymore. When God doesn't answer a prayer the way that we want to, our pride whispers to us, that he's not trustworthy and that we can do things better. But we don't see the big picture. We don't see that God is always working and that his ways are not our ways and that everything that he does, everything that he allows into our life, he will walk with us through it and we can trust him in it, even if it's something hard, even if it's something tragic. But when we don't see the big picture, it's easy to just kind of lose faith. I think about my great, great aunt Pearl who was just a character. And I've got vivid memories of her from when I was a kid because when she finally passed away, she was one of the, the oldest people that I'd ever heard of. She was 104 years old when she died, right? And still smart as a whip, quick-witted, no filter. She would just say some stuff, all right? So I can't repeat a lot of what she would say, but I will say some of it here. So after she turned 100, she got even more feisty. And we would go and visit her and she'd be like, I'd be like, Aunt Pearl, how are things going? She goes, terrible, terrible. I'm like, well, what's, what do you mean terrible? She's like, I keep getting these new roommates. This, they bring these young girls in to be my roommate. Well, what do you mean young girl? How young? I'm like 84. This girl's 84. She could be my daughter. And you know what? I get attached to them and then they die. They just die. And then they'll bring me another one and I'll get attached to that one and that one will die. And it just keeps happening. And I don't know why I'm still here. Like, and I'm like, well, we'd say, well, Aunt Pearl, well, God still has a plan for you. And she said, well, I can't imagine what. I'm old as dirt. You know, <laughs> just laugh. She was a character, right? And she got to a point in her life where she's like, I don't, I don't see why I'm still here. And I'm starting to lose, lose faith because it doesn't make any sense to me why I would still be here. And when you're in a season of life where you're like, I don't see why I'm still here. I don't see why I'm still in this job, in this position, in this struggle, in this set of circumstances, God, if you really loved me, you would have gotten me out of here by now. And we start losing faith. But it's in those moments, guys, when our faith can and should grow the most. So we say, Lord, listen, I don't see the big picture. I don't understand why I'm still here. This is a painful season, but I'm trusting you. I know that you're good. You're for me. You work all things together for good. You've got a plan and a purpose for my life. You'll never leave me or forsake me. And I want to lean into you, Lord, because you say you're close to the brokenhearted. And and I wanna experience that closeness to you instead of just shaking my fist at you right now. I never want to reject you, Lord. And so if you're in a, a time where you're tempted to reject God or his goodness or to disbelieve in him because you're hurting or you're struggling, I challenge you and I challenge myself in these seasons too to instead lean into prayer, lean into growing in your faith and trusting him even more because we can trust him no matter what. We're gonna skip ahead now toward the end of this week, this final week of Jesus's life. And the very next day, Jesus is gonna be crucified. And so how does he spend that last night? Well, he spends it with his disciples. They share a meal together. Uh, he institutes what we call the Last Supper, communion, saying, this is my body and my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. He washes their feet, showing them that they need to take on the nature of a servant as he has where he came to, to serve and that we as his followers need to do the same. And then he says, let's, let's go and pray. And he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was one of his favorite spots to pray. And he prayed for us in that moment. He prayed that, you know, that, 
that he would have strength. He prayed with so much stress that sweat drops fell like drops of blood from his forehead. And he did pray just in his humanity that, Father, listen, if there's a, if there's a less painful way to accomplish this, I'm in for that, but ultimately not my will, but your will. Jesus, who himself was God, submitted to the will of the Father and ultimately willingly took on whatever pain was necessary to rescue you and me. And we were on his mind in that moment. I'm gonna read just a, just a bit of what he prayed, Matthew chapter 26. Jesus went with him to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther, bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet, not what I want, Lord, but your will be done. The Garden of Gethsemane was one of the most special stops uh, on this trip because almost everywhere we went, there were lots of people. And it was great seeing lots of people and people from all over the world in all these different languages, a picture of God's kingdom, every tribe, tongue, and nation united there just to, to make that pilgrimage to grow closer to Jesus. But in all the chaos and noise of all the people, Sometimes it was harder to hear those just gentle whispers from God. But at the Garden of Gethsemane, they, there's a private section of the garden where our group was able to go and have that moment, that, that moment of solitude where Jesus prayed on this final night before the crucifixion. Um, and it really, really was something special. So let's pause what we're doing and go to the Garden of Gethsemane for just a few minutes. Friends, I can't believe where I'm standing right now. I'm in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is one of Jesus's favorite spots to come and pray. In fact, this is the place where he prayed the night before his crucifixion. And during that time of prayer, he was praying for you and me. He was praying that God would protect us and guide us. We were on his mind and heart when he went to the cross. And that just blows my mind. I'm trying to talk a little quieter here because this is a place where people are praying all around me. People from all over the world come here to pray where Jesus prayed. And some of the olive trees here in this garden are ancient, believing to be from the very time when Jesus himself was here praying. And I'm trying not to disturb those prayers. But when I'm here, I'm, I'm reminded that Jesus got away from the city. He got away from city life in Jerusalem to come and find a quiet place to reconnect with his father. And how much more do you and I need that? I mean, we're in a world where it's busier than louder than ever. Jesus came at a time where there were no cell phones to turn off or anything. And yet he still, as the son of God, God in the flesh, our savior needed that time to unplug and disconnect in a quiet place. You and I need that so much as well. So my challenge as I stand here for myself and for all of us is, is to find a quiet space that you can consistently get alone with Jesus. You know, it, it doesn't have to be anything special. It could be in your backyard, but a quiet place where just you and the Lord can connect and do that often. He wants to hear from you. And again, you don't have to come to the Garden of Gethsemane to connect with Jesus. You can do it just as easily from right where you are in this moment because he is with us all the time. And I'm so thankful for that. But find a quiet space. And again, as I'm here, I'm just, I'm so thankful that in Jesus's prayers, he was praying of all the things he was praying for, for us. So let's in our prayers be connecting with him, but also be praying for those in our life, especially those who don't yet know him because he has a great plan for every single one of us. He went to the cross to die for you and me. 
that he went to the cross to die for those friends and family members of ours who don't yet know him. So let's keep them in our prayers as well. They were on Jesus' mind when he went to the cross. Make sure our friends know that through our prayers. So one of the the takeaways I have when I I look at the story of Jesus leading to this moment is this. Jesus willingly went to the cross because of his love for the Father and his love for us. He said in the Gospels, nobody takes my life away. I willingly lay it down and I willingly raise it up again. That Jesus was not coerced into this. No one tricked him into this or dragged him into this. He came knowing that this, this was what had to happen to rescue you and me. And he gave the gift of his life wholeheartedly so that we could be with him forever. It's the, it's the greatest, most selfless act of love the world has ever known. And he did it for you. We were on his mind. I mean, again, pray, reading those prayers he prayed in John chapter you know, 16, 17 in the Bible where he's praying for us you know, now, th- those who would come to faith through him. And he has such good things in store for us. I think sometimes when somebody offers us a gift and it feels like their heart's not really in it, we kind of want to reject it. Um, I was at Costco yesterday. In fact, with my son Chandler, who's here. Hey, buddy. And we were at Costco because we love the free samples, don't we? Free samples at Costco are the best. And I also love Costco because I'm, I'm getting old. Now, when you start becoming an old guy, you start doing random things. Hanging out at Costco is one of them. Backing into parking spaces is another. There's a whole list. And I'm... I'm, I'm I'm in the Costco phase where I just go there for no reason. And we were there getting samples. And this one lady was setting out samples. And I didn't want to bother her because, you know, she was, you know, normally I'm very like, hey, can I have one of these? You know, I mean, obviously that's what they're there for. But I didn't want to bother her. She was doing her thing. And so I just kind of snuck up to the side and like reached over and just kind of grabbed one trying to be polite. And she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm sorry. I was just going to grab one. And she goes, I have to place them through the sneeze guard. And that's why it's set up this way. And you're supposed to grab it from the front. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'll put it back. Well, you touched it now. And I was just like, I don't even want it anymore. (laughs) You're so mean. I mean, I still ate it, right? I mean, it's free food, but it didn't taste as good as it would have had the gift been from her heart. I'll tell you that much. I did not buy it. We'll just say that. When somebody gives you a gift and you can tell their heart's not in it, that it's given out of compulsion or whatever, it just takes something away from it, doesn't it? I mean, you don't even really want it. But that's not the way Jesus gave. I mean, he came and he gave everything wholeheartedly, fully focused on the fact that the cross was the, was the goal and that that's where he was headed. And it was for you and me. And he loved you and I so much that he didn't want anything to stand in the way of us realizing that the freedom and forgiveness that only he could offer. And when we were wandered off in our sin, just like the good shepherd he is, he was willing to, to leave 99 others who were already saved to run after you and me, the one who'd wandered away. He came on a rescue mission for us. It's the most important gift anybody's ever offered you. So don't leave it unopened. It's a gift that we've got to open through faith and re- receive by faith and to say, Lord, I thank you for this. And I want to live my life in light of what you've done for me. So Jesus ultimately Prayed that prayer, you know, the next day he stood at trial on trumped up charges and was ultimately sent to the cross to be crucified. He was flogged, whipped, which was a torturous process where his flesh would have been just just ripped open over and over again and then nailed to a cross. The most torturous way the Romans could come up with to inflict execution on someone. 
And the Romans were very good at executing and torturing people, and they reserved crucifixion for the absolute worst of the worst. And they were trying to send a message through the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus died, arms stretched wide, a slow, agonizing, suffocating death. And even from the cross, he spoke words of life and of grace. Even from the cross, he extended grace to one of the one of the criminals on one of his, the side of him who, who at the last moment of his life reached out and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, showing us that it's, it's never too late. As long as you have breath in your lungs, it's never too late to turn to Jesus. But don't wait till the end because the tragedy of waiting till the end is we miss out on the lifetime of walking with Jesus and growing closer to him and being able to live in a way that's gonna point others to him as well. But... Let today be your day. We're not there yet, but maybe today is going to be your day where you turn to him. It's the best decision you could ever make. So Jesus was crucified, placed in a tomb, and after three days, just as he said he would, he rose from the dead. And that moment of resurrection is the pinnacle moment of human history. It's the moment that changed all of his disciples who at the moment of the crucifixion, these guys were running for their lives. They were scared. They felt like this is over. This is not ending like we thought it would. And then Jesus rose from the dead and they realized that he is who he said he was all along. And seeing the risen savior is what turned these 12 ordinary guys that were running for their lives into the most fearless dudes you've ever seen. And they went proclaiming boldly the message of Jesus to the point of their own executions and tortures and imprisonment. And they didn't let that slow them down at all because once you've seen your risen savior and you know that's your destiny too, then there's nothing any person can do to intimidate you. They could take your very life, and what is that really taking? Like Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm gonna live, I'm living for Jesus. If I'm gonna die, that's even better, because then I'll be with him forever where there is no more pain and there is no more sorrow, and that's the world waiting on us. And when we know that in our hearts to be true, we can live life differently. We can face life's struggles differently because we know the pain we're facing is temporary. So skipping ahead to that day of the resurrection, the greatest moment in all of human history, I'm gonna read the account from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear as they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. The angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell the disciples he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you in Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples and the the angels message. And as they went... Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped them. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Man, what a moment. The angels invited these ladies, come see where he had laid and he's not there. And I wanna invite you guys to do the very same right now. The very final stop on this trip was our stop at the garden tomb. And having walked inside, I can assure you that it is indeed still empty And he indeed is risen. Let's go there for a few minutes together. 
Well, friends, this is our last stop, and we have saved the best for last. This is the garden tomb, a 2,000-year-old tomb, which may be the very place that Jesus was buried and raised to new life. I mean, this is the central moment in all of human history, the central foundation for every Christian belief, that because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, our sins are paid for once we put our faith in Him, we're part of God's family. And just as He was raised to new life, we also will be raised to new life with Him forever. And to look at this place, to walk in that tomb and to see that it is still empty, He is risen, He is risen indeed, is something that just fills my heart with so much joy. Because He's alive, it makes every difficulty we'll ever face fit in its proper perspective. You see, because, because of Jesus, every pain we'll experience is a temporary pain, just like His death was a temporary situation. But every joy we will experience will be eternal, just like His resurrection is eternal, and so will ours be as well. Guys, I want to thank you so much for coming on this journey with us here in the Holy Land. It's been a privilege to share these, these, these places where Jesus walked. And I hope that as we continue to understand more about the world where Jesus walked, the more we can understand His plan for our life today. So come here if you get the chance someday. But I want to remind you, you don't have to come to the Holy Land to be close to Jesus because His Holy Spirit is within us and with us always. No matter where you are in the world, He is with you. And you can call on Him knowing He is right there by your side. And if you've not yet made that decision to reach out to him in faith, ask him to be your savior and Lord, today is your day. He died for you. He rose to new life and he's got a plan for your life and for your eternity. So Jesus is the only person in history who could have rented his grave on Airbnb. He only needed it for a weekend. And after that weekend was up, he rose to new life. And that resurrection is what all of the hope of the world hangs on. The, the principle we learn from this is that Jesus' resurrection, it's what makes our, our salvation possible. When he says he came to give us new life, he showed us what new life really is. I mean, a resurrection life, the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us once we put our faith in him, that we too will be raised to new life for eternity. And in this life, even while we're alive in this, these broken temporary human bodies in this broken world, that spirit is in us to give us hope and life and to remind us of the future that awaits us and to remind us what this life really needs to be about. Because the world's gonna tell you, just live for yourself, make a name for yourself. But if we're really walking in the footsteps of Jesus, then we can't live the world's way where it's not just about accumulating for ourselves. It's not just about making our own names great because here's the deal. Our names can't save anybody. Our names are gonna be forgotten. I mean, they, they just will. But Jesus is the name above every name. His name will never be forgotten. And what we do in him and through him and for his glory, it will last forever. And that's why Jesus, with his final words, after the resurrection, after he spent time with his disciples and giving them some final encouragement and instruction before ascending to heaven, he left them with what's called the Great Commission, the final words in the Gospel of Matthew. And this isn't just for them. This is marching orders for us. When we want to know, what's, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like, what am I supposed to do? Well, regardless whether you're a, a teacher, doctor, lawyer, mom, dad, student, whatever you are, this is for all of us. This is the words that Jesus left us with. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we need to live our lives 
with eternity in mind. Not just working towards career goals, not just working towards retirement, but working towards eternity. What is my life doing to to make an eternal impact by pointing people to Jesus? I want to share a story of someone whose life impacted mine, even though I didn't know anything about him until very recently. I want to show you his tombstone, all right? So let me show you a picture of this tombstone, this lonely tombstone sitting underneath a tree in Louisville, Kentucky, a grave off by itself that is so faded that you can't even barely make out any of the inscription at all on it. And it's, within a few generations, it will be completely faded and nothing but a white rock underneath an old tree. And just like that name is faded, you know, our names are going to fade with time, but what we do with Jesus will last. So that's the tombstone of a man named Theodore Rushing. You've never heard of him uh, because I had never heard of him until recently, and he's my own great, 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 great grandfather. Now, my mom was doing family history and kind of all the stories she uncovered, his, his really stood out to me. And I realized that this guy that I didn't know about had actually blessed me greatly, and I can't wait to see him in heaven one day. So here's, here's his story and why it encourages me so much. So Theodore lived a hard life. Uh, he married the love of his life, but his wife died in childbirth leaving him with a daughter to raise on his own. So he was a single father and a small church pastor in Southern Indiana where he led a a small country church of about 30 people. And he farmed and he also did whatever he could to just kind of help support his daughter. He loved Jesus and he taught her to love Jesus. And by all accounts, he was a good pastor, a good father, a good neighbor. But life turned upside down for him and for the, the whole country. 1861, when the Civil War came, And all of a sudden, regular men who'd never been in the service found themselves in the army. And he, with no military service, became an officer in the the Union Army, fighting with, with other guys from southern Indiana where he lived. And early into the war, he was killed in action, leaving his daughter, a 12 year old orphan. And that daughter was ultimately raised by a family in the church. And the daughter, my great 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 grandmother, started a family of her own, and she taught her kids the same lessons that she had seen in her father about loving Jesus, about trusting the Bible, about prayer, about how this life is so temporary and short, but even in our struggles, we can trust in the Lord and, and that that's the foundation we build our life on. And it became a, became a legacy of faith that, that ultimately blessed my great-grandparents and my grandparents and then my mother and then me. I'm getting to to live in that blessing of seeds of faith that were planted nearly 200 years ago by a guy buried alone with a name that's been eroded off of a tombstone. And and really, that's a picture of how this life goes, guys, that that all of our names are going to be forgotten. I mean, don't, don't kid yourself. My name, your name, we're, we're a few generations away from being a, a faded tombstone that nobody visits. And I know that's a sad and kind of morbid thought, but here's the good news. That tombstone isn't where you really are. You are spending eternity somewhere, either with Jesus in glory or without him. And if you're in Christ, if you're part of the family of God, then you're connected to the name that will never fade the name that is above every name. You're part of his family forever. You have an identity in him forever that no one can ever take. You have an inheritance that's eternal 
that can never fade or spoil. And everything you do in this life to grow closer to him and to point other people to him will reverberate throughout eternity as well. So live a life that matters, guys. Do things that matter. And there's nothing that matters more than to build your life on the foundation of God's word and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Because when you're following him, you're always headed in the right direction. At all of our campuses, would you stand with me? I wanna pray one final prayer of blessing over us and then we're gonna close out this series with, uh, with, with one chorus of worship, just thanking Jesus for who he is. But as I prepare to pray for you, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this, if you've not made the decision to follow Jesus, make it today. None of us are automatically followers of Jesus just because of what our parents believe. None of us are automatically followers of Jesus even just because we show up to a church All of us have to make the decision to say, Lord, save me. It's a very personal choice. Lord, you came, you died for me. And I'm asking you, Lord, to be my Lord and Savior. And I'm asking you today to forgive me of how I've lived. Make me into the person I was meant to be. And I'm committing to following you as the leader of my life now and forever. I'm trusting you with my life and with my eternity. If you haven't prayed that prayer, let today be the day you make the best decision of your life. And for the rest of us, let today be the day that you recommit to live in your life for Jesus and building the only kind of legacy that lasts, one that points others to him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you for coming on a rescue mission for us and saving us from our sin. And for anyone here today, God, that's not yet part of your family, that has not yet made that decision to reach out to you in faith and receive that free gift of grace that you died and rose again to make possible. Let today be the day they say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of how I've lived. Adopt me into your family. Be my Lord and Savior. I promise to trust you and follow you all the days of my life. And for all of us, Lord, even if we prayed a prayer like that long ago and maybe we've gotten off track through the years, let today be a turning point where we recommit and say, God, with the time that I have left, whether it's a few days or a few decades or whatever it might be, God, let me spend that time for you, doing things that matter, loving my family well, being a good neighbor, living out your truth in a way that points others to your goodness, God. We love you and we thank you so much for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.